what up? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of the Boxing Voice Radio. I am your host, Nesta Gibbs, joined alongside Ringwalk Danny. What's going on, champ? What up? Back with another one. Unfortunately, it is our last one of the week here. It is, it is, it is. As uh, some TV shows being filmed uh, tomorrow and Friday, so we got a good guest and uh, back with another one, champ. Yes, sir, man. We will be having world-renowned trainer Virgil Hunter in the building. And, uh, man, I'm definitely excited because I plan to come at this interview from a different perspective, Um, at least for a little while, right? Um, And we're here to discuss, obviously, Conor Ben being cleared by the WBC, Danny. So now, not only is he cleared, but he also will be ranked. And it opens the door for a potential Manny Pacquiao fight, as it has been a rumor circulating for some time now. Uh, Even while Conor wasn't cleared by the WBC, there was rumors of this happening in another country where he didn't need sanction. Um, But now, this does open the door for Connor and Manny Pacquiao to have a fight anywhere. Which is a good thing for Connor, you know, because this positive test scandal has given him a lot of publicity, you know, and I feel like Tank is one of the biggest names in boxing. Definitely one of the top five biggest names in, 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 in active boxing. And uh, he shined a lot of light on Connor during this situation, uh, bringing to light, obviously, that Eddie was, um, you know, dealing with a fighter that was dirty and et cetera. But that was a little back and forth that I, I like. You know, I've always wanted Tank at welterweight for certain fights. And... He and Connor certainly is a great fight, in my opinion. Um, oh, if, you're if, suggesting for Tank to move up for that fight? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are one of those welterweight fights I think he can beat. You know, welterweight's the, the big money division. You know, he would get paid because he's the one moving up. He would get paid because he's the A-side. But that's neither here nor there. That's just one of the options that Connor may have now that he's cleared. I think the bigger picture is obviously Pacquiao. Um, depending who you are, maybe Pacquiao wouldn't sit well with me. Uh, but we we see we see Connor's trajectory isn't that of fighting the Ennises and the Terrence and Earl Spencers of the world. His, you know, direction is novelty fights almost. The Eubank fight was interesting, but it wasn't a typical welterweight fight. Um, And he he was was, moving up two divisions without, you know, even winning a title at welterweight. He was a heavy underdog, too, in that fight. You know, so so the Pacquiao fight is right up Conor's alley. You know, he also wanted Amir Khan. All those things are up his alley. Like, he's not looking to be the number one welterweight. He's looking to be one of the number one draws at welterweight. And I think by fighting Pacquiao, 
you you build you further build that fan base and the the popularity of ticket sales and you know increase your your your, your chance at that. Um, so, yeah, man. Um, outside of the Pacquiao fight, what does Conor have? Is that Kel Brook? Is that Eubank fight in your opinion still there? I think you that I think that's done. You know because the I think the 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 allure of that fight is gone now that Liam did what he did to Eubank. Eubank needs to avenge that loss. He's already invoked his rematch clause. So I think yeah, that ship is sailed for Connor. I think that uh, it is time for Connor to fight someone else, and Kel Brook. Amir Khan, Manny Pacquiao, you know, I'm not expecting Jerron Ennis, Terrence Crawford, Ortiz, the Stanionis winner. I, I don't see those yet, you know. Um, him and Eddie would only cross the pond for big commercial fights. I'm trying to think. I'm looking, I'm trying to think of somebody who would be appealing, like. Well, you got to think. UK. I know, I know, I know. Josh Taylor beats Tio, move up to face Connor. Yeah, that's big, but um, that's pretty dangerous. Not to say that the Eubank wasn't dangerous. Trying to think of an appealing name for him, champ. It's kind of hard at this point. Adrian Broner. Come on, man, you're dropping the ball. Yeah, we got to see him back. No need. That fight got canceled. This is the bigger fight. Let's go. You don't want to see AB back in one before he gets in there with Connor, the I younger, mean, fastest I'm, fighter. I'm sure. I'm sure AB and his team wanted to get one in, but be that as it may, we're in a situation now where it didn't work out. Where you know he had a whole training camp, maybe two, and and. You know, some trainers say, you know, you got to get your fighter to bust off, man. He can't be in there just training, training, training. There's got to be an ending to that training. So, I don't know, man. But this does open doors for Conor Ben. That's really all that matters. Do you care? I'm still trying to think of an opponent. Um... Well, he'd be, he'd be back ranked in the WBC ranking, so, I mean, you can look there. Yeah, but you said it's going to be a name, not necessarily a guy in the rankings. You're absolutely right. You know, Yo, uh, he, he is of boom. the caliber that he, he can fought, pick someone. He just fought in one last year, Victor Ortiz. Victor Ortiz. Did he actually fight last year? And won. At 47. At 47. Wow. That is a live ball. You just, you just, you just alley-ooped it for them. I mean, it was technically like he was at like 51, but you get what I'm saying? No, no. If he can make that, how old is Victor these days? 36. Mm, perfect time. I know we've seen him more on the big screen than in the ring, but look, man. I don't know about the big screen. He had one movie cameo, right? It was uh, Expendables? No, and then... Uh, uh, Dancing Paul, with the Stars? Was it Southpaw or was it uh, Southpaw. Creed? Neither. One of the two, for sure. Neither. How much you willing to bet before I, I Google this shit? Oh, you right. I think he was like a, a dude that said one, uh, like in the gym, he said something in, 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 in South Paul, right? I think he see. was in the gym and said something. 
Bro, you tripping on... Look, he was in The Expendables, Southpaw, uh, Once Upon a Time in Venice with Bruce Willis. He was in Avenge the Crows. What? He was in uh, Perfect. He was in Dead Drop. Yo, you just making shit up, Brother, man. this shit on Google. Matter of fact... I've never heard those Shift movies. Command... Is it Shift Command 3? I've never heard those movies, bro. Control Command 3? Never Con heard them movies. Damn, I'm trying to screenshot. No, no, no. Oh, I can't remember. What the fuck is screenshot on the Mac? I thought it was Shift Command 3 or 4. Shift Command. What What? What do you need to do all that for? Because I'm a... Um, it ain't that serious, champ. Send it to you, champ. It ain't that serious. So you can have it. I'm good. Sam Goody. But if you want to call in, the number to call, 1425-569-5241. You can let us know... What you think about the WBC saying there was, uh, what is it, no conclusive evidence? Yeah, correct. And that's why they have allowed Conor Ben to proceed with his career, and he'll also receive a WBC shiny ranking, which will put him in position. What position that's going to be? Let me pull up my rankings and just take a quick glimpse. Wow. Harold Calderon, bro. Hold Can on. you believe what in the world? How is your Denny Urgas off of a Earl Spence eye fracture? I guess, I guess, I guess I can't complain. Wilder was high off of the loss to Fury. But Yo, at least Wilder was a champion. I know one of the other names that was offered for uh the Berlanga fight. Who? He just won. Man, who? We've seen him in there against the Mexican monster. He just won. The only man to put the Mexican monster down. Oh, Gra Graville. Ronald Gavril. They ain't offer him to fight. Yes, they did. They ain't offer him to fight. Yes, they did. You're starting. They offered him to fight before this tune-up or after this tune-up? They just offered it to him. For June. For June. Wow. Come on, bro. My sources is... is well, how, how big is Graville, though? Ain't he bigger? He's big, He's bro. He's 68. Wow. He's 68. Bro, I've been seeing him in the gym a lot. Top rank. He's... Yeah, he's a 68-pounder. Trained with Rodney. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, 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 but... The other name is bigger. Yo, I hear your boys in town. The boys are back in town. Harold, Harold Calderon. Back? I hear he in town. This town? I hear, yeah, I hear he's in uh in camp with your boy. Who? Your boy. Who's my boy? Who's at 47, got a big fight coming up. Nah, Thurman? I Thurman? Nah, 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 Crowley. Nah, I honestly can't remember. No, he ain't. He ain't in camp with no motherfucking crowd. He ain't camp with somebody. They told me, but it's the Hardine. And and I feel like I'm dropping the ball. I honestly feel like it's not Crowley. I feel like it's somebody else that they just told me he in camp uh in camp with, but I can't remember who, bro. But I'm like, oh yeah, that's Nestor's boy. Yeah, I can't remember who, man. I'm dropping the ball. I'm sorry. Mm. Shout out to Hardine. Oh, you talking about you talking about Vic Peter Dobson? Nah. What? Why? Nah, bro. He's in a big... He in camp with somebody who got a big fight coming up. 
lot. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. You wilding right now. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> who, bro. It's the hard thing. <laughs> One four two five five six nine fifty two forty one. I don't see my Texas. I don't know. Diverge, diverge. You make it. Where you at, champ? Hope you ain't get pulled over. Where you at? Where you at, champ? Cool. This may be the first time that like one of us need to go look for somebody. Nah, remember we did that. We did that. I think um, Bo and Michael went to get somebody yeah, one time. Bo and Michael would go meet together, but I'm saying we've never had a go look. Oh, for you somebody. mean our sales? Yeah. You mean our sales? Yo, um, what up, Connor Pacquiao? Connor Pacquiao. Can you see that happening in London? Or where else? Like Sheffield is where's 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 nah, Ben you, from? You gotta do it. You gotta do it. I mean, that's probably a stadium fight, right? I'm just saying, again, I know that there was some interest from overseas, but do you think it's more uh like you know, what what it would sell out in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, but was, does it make the most money in the UK? But would it do the eighty thousand that 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 Frotch does? With Pacquiao, I don't know. We've never seen Conor on that level, but obviously, uh, son of a legend. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think they do well. I think they do fifty thousand. Pacquiao's been out what a year now, right? <laughs> nah, bro. Uh, yeah, year and a half now. Year and a half. August of 2020. You know, I can never get mad at anybody. Like, you got to retire these dudes. You know what I mean? Joe Smith fought B-Hop at what age? Obviously, Pacquiao was younger, is younger than what the age Joe Smith, uh, you know, beat that version of B-Hop. Yeah. Because remember, I told you that I watched that uh, Sean Gibbons interview, and, and that was a day ago. He said... They wouldn't consider Connor until he's cleared. And <laughs> he's cleared. Yeah, you know I mean? Yo, but Sean Gibbons says a lot. What are you saying? Can't believe him? I mean... I mean, it, it, they all sound like matchroom options. I don't know that Kelbrook is still with matchroom. I think he's might be with Boxer, but, you know, they did say Connor. They did, he did say uh, Brooke. Who said, bro? Gibbons. For Pacquiao? Oh, wow. Did he just see that recent video, Kel? Kel don't look like he fighting. What you mean? He know he going to make weight? <laughs> I was trying to get him to spit that out. I figured that joke would have been straight up enough to get that out. For real. That's funny. Yo, shout out to Canna. I see him. I see you. I see you, Canna. I see you. Damn, where's Verge? I, I'm, I'm almost afraid to text. Yo, hit him up, man. I hit him up. How oh, he times? says here, but I don't see you. Okay. Is there another studio? It's the only studio. Yeah.
No but uh, to everybody tuned in, make sure to smash that like button. It's free. Make sure you are subscribed as uh, we are waiting on world-renowned trainer Virgil Hunter. Yes. And just to remind everybody this, uh, even though we won't be necessarily in Blue Wire Studios, we will be uh, still conducting our 12 p.m. Pacific shows And we got a special treat Friday. on Sunday. Danny's going to join treat. me Sunday. Special treat Sunday for the Jake Paul, uh, Tommy Fury pay-per-view. Uh, we will be doing a live on location, but from which location, you guys will have to tune in. A location we've never um, conducted a show before, so definitely excited for that. Um, so for any of the Border Wars guys who... Are still in town for that on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, Keem the Dream. You Keem, rocking out with a Sunday. Keem gets a very special treat um, since you're still making a trip out because, uh, yeah, special show on Sunday. He said, Danny's joining me. Like, come on, champ. If there's, you know, if there's a reason for me to be there, I'm there. So speaking of Jake Paul, Top Rank presents the highly anticipated superstar bout, Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. Live on ESPN, pay-per-view exclusive. I didn't know that. You didn't know it was a pay-per-view? Oh, they in that pay-per-view business. Oh, wow. Come on, now. Come on. Wow, shout out to, Come to on. Jake. So, Jake Paul's pay-per-view starts February 26th, Sunday at 2 p.m., and it looks like our producer has eyes on Mr. Hunter. And that looks like Tony Brady, right? Mm -hmm. Shout out, Tony Brady also came in. Uh, so, yeah. Yo. 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yeah. Oh, wow. They are in... You they, know, we, they we are, we are, are going to have to do both. We are going to have to do both because the Macaboo and, and no, Battle Jack course, fight. of course, of course. Yo, and they bringing them out for this one, man. Uh, the press conference is on Thursday, tomorrow at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 Pacific. Oh, my. Look at the time of the weigh-in. So we'll be uh, live for that. And they say press conference featuring Mike Tyson, Devin Haney, and Sean Porter. That's big guns. Yo, they bringing the big names out. Bro, the weigh-in is at 4.30 a.m. Is that a misprint? Um, Let me see. Where do you see that at? All right, well, he doesn't see that, but no worries. We're going to cut to commercial break. Be right back with our guest, Virgil Hunter. And it looks like Tony Brady's also in studio with us. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to head on over to KenichiBear.com forward slash. Use the code TBV to get that discount. Word.
All right, all right. Welcome back, ladies and gents. Welcome back. We are joined by world-renowned trainer Virgil Hunter and strength and conditioning coach Tony Brady. Gentlemen, thank you for coming into the studio and giving us the opportunity, obviously, to talk a little bit of boxing with you. How are you both? So, uh, Verge, man, I didn't. I wanted to start this a little different. Um, so, I actually did research because you know we've, I've pretty much covered a lot of your uh, Andre Ward's career professionally. So, I felt like we knew each other. So, I never did research. I had no clue uh, why you started training and that it was for uh, some sort of probation department or something. Can you give me some more background on that? So you would, you had the program or you would have to go to them? Okay, okay. And then I uh, I was reading and it, it said that um, you were linked to certain trainers. So I didn't understand if that meant that you got tutelage from them, but it's, I seen Nazim Richardson. Um, I'll pull up a few others, but I'm sure you can tell me. Can you tell me your, your I guess, how'd you get some of your boxing knowledge? Well, I served an apprenticeship like you're supposed to do in the old days at the old Oakland gyms under Jimmy Simmons, Bobby Warren, rest in peace, Tiger Floyd. I served an apprenticeship under them for years to learn the sport, learn the business. Believe it or not, I boxed myself in open, unsanctioned fights, what people don't understand and don't realize, um, and just respected the game like it was supposed to be, and that's what they insisted upon, and that's the formula that I followed. Sure. So what 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 can you tell me about your time or spent or, you know, anything that you might have uh conversation that you remember with Nazim Richardson? Well I met Nazim on the amateur circuit, uh, when we were going to national tournaments, Andre and I, and that's where I met him. Very humble brother, very informative brother, uh always there for you. Uh, we talked other things other than boxing. Uh, just got to know him as a good person. Verge, I do need you to uh, maybe bring the mic closer or speak a little bit uh, in, more into the mic. They're saying it's a little too low. Um, but, yeah, man, uh, those were just some of the things I had no clue uh, about because, obviously, you know, I followed the career of yourself and Ward so closely from a professional boxing and amateur standpoint. I never took the time to find out how you started, but it's very similar to Kevin Cunningham. Did you hear his story or no? No, I'm not. Okay, so he was, I believe, I believe he was a uh, former police officer that started a boxing program, and yeah, then he just became a professional trainer like he is now, and uh, kind of similar. Obviously, you weren't an officer, but you were a probation officer, so... That's very interesting. Virgil, I wanted to ask, you said uh, you used to fight unsanctioned fights, and uh, <laughs> we've actually fought some unsanctioned fights. Uh, was that before you got into the training, or was that during uh, the time that you got into training? Because I'm curious, like, why, like, why boxing? What made you choose boxing out of all the other things you could have chose to help these young men? Well, my uncle's boxed, and... Um... 
they used to work with me when I was a younger kid, so I was always fascinated. Of course, I got infatuated with Cassius Clay uh, during that time. And uh, basketball and baseball was my sport, but I always had boxing in my blood. So after those days kind of faded out, I started, I joined the gym and uh, physically and mentally learned the sport. So was it a thing that you felt like you had to get in there to be able to teach it, or was it just uh, your ambition and, and, and love for the sport? Well, I was encouraged to get in there, and, and I had the desire to get in there uh, to see what I was taught. And, and, of course, I was very athletic, so I, I would say that I was successful in the time that I would sling them. And, uh, but my mind was more geared towards the training aspect. Were you considered a heavyweight back then? No. Uh -uh. Light heavy. I was much smaller. Okay. Because you're tall. How tall? Well, I was 6'3 and a half then. 6'4. Mm. 180 pounds. So these days, I feel like you're considered a hired gun. Would you? Or do you look at yourself like that or, do you, or, or, or no? Well, no longer. I have three fighters that um, I got my focus on. Uh, two from France, one from the U.K. As far as having a lot of people and hired guns, I'm, I'm not in that business no more. I've made my living in boxing. I'm very comfortable. So I decided to take a different route, focus on these three gentlemen that I have now, and uh, see how it turns out. I'm assuming the one from the U.K. is Joshua Buatzi. You're still with him? Correct. And the other two? Suleiman Sissoko and Tony Yoka. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. I almost want to jump immediately into the um, Bacoli fight. Were you there with him? I didn't train him for that fight. Mm. I had Boatsy up in the Bay Area. He made a bad decision to come down to Vegas, uh, which I wasn't willing to follow him down to Vegas. I actually was willing to pay for his camp to come back to the Bay Area. I had two heavyweights ready to come into the Bay Area. I was going to actually pay for his camp because his money wasn't Right, but he chose to stay down here in the Bay Area. I mean, in Vegas. Got his nose broke three, what, three, four weeks before the fight? Five weeks before the fight. Shouldn't have took the fight at all. But you have to ask him about that. But I did go into France three days before the fight. I didn't expect that. I'm going to be real. I did not expect that. Now, these days, I'm a betting man. I know uh, not everybody bets for religious purposes and things like that, but I feel like I'm in this sport. I'm in these gyms because it doesn't stop for me here. Like, me and Danny will go to top rank three I, days a week. And, I was at top rank for two hours this morning watching sparring. So. Yeah, so, like, we see things. So, you know, that being said, I thought he was technically the better man. Mechanically, he throws his punches, in my opinion... The yeah. way you're supposed to, right? And on top I didn't of that, think that those shots of Bacoli looping around the sides would get around his very defensive high guard. That was we, a... And then on top of I that, we that. actually saw him sparring in Vegas. Yes. Uh, so it's like we thought highly of the sparring. We thought... And of his jab. I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Well, you never know how it is psychologically when you have a broken nose. And... Um, wasn't properly prepared for the fight. So that's that's not on me. Of course, I took a hit from the French press, which I'm a very unhappy about. 
But then I realized that it's hard for him to get sparring in the Bay Area. He's got to pay for the rooms. They stay in. He's got to pay. So I came down to Vegas because I had the opportunity to come down. And I'll probably be coming down much more with my other guys also. So. So are you here holding camp with Yoka? Yes. Because I was thinking maybe you were also brought in as a... I don't know, second eyes for Caleb, or was that just a photo opportunity? No, Stephen Breadman Edwards is a friend of mine, so I support him in his uh, coaching endeavors. So I went by the gym a couple times to watch Caleb fight, but box and spar, but I'm not in no way at all affiliated with his progress in camp. What's your thoughts of Caleb as a fighter? I think he's a good fighter. I think he's got an upside. Uh, I like what Brad is doing with him, and um, I expect to see a very competitive fight. Did uh, you expect him to go the distance in the Canelo fight, or, or did you not have a prediction at the time? Well, I was pretty open-minded about it. Um, I don't like to make too many predictions before fights. I felt like he had the capabilities of going the distance, um, but whatever happened, happened. Yeah, I, I I swore he was going a distance. He did so well, too, up until it was over. A lot of people had him up. A lot of people. A lot of people had him up. Tony, oh. Tony, what's up, man? You've been kind of quiet. I'm just uh, listening to Verge. He's a man of wisdom, so anytime I actually, speaks, I listen. I actually got a couple questions for you. You're working with Mendoza, right? Yes, yes. And how many camps have you had with him now? And Bob Mendoza, for those tuning in, I mean Brian Mendoza. Yes. Uh, I helped out Brian when I came down to help out with Arislandi Lara in a previous uh, camp. Uh, Edward Jackson out of Houston works with Lara, and he couldn't be here, so me and Jack worked together. And so I came down here to work with Lara, and Brian was sparring with Lara. And so we got a little bit of work in, built a relationship. And then when Brian came to help Mario Barrios prepare for... Uh, Keith Thurman, uh, he came to the Bay, and then we were able to work during that camp, and then we stayed consistent because I stayed in Vegas after that fight, and we worked all year, and just the objective was to stay ready. Uh, I like Brian a lot and hopefully get him an opportunity. You know, he's in good hands with Louis DeCubis, and he stayed ready, and then when the opportunity came, he took that fight because he knew he was ready against Rosario, and now he's in a really good position, so... How have you seen the progression uh, with him in, in the amount of time that you're working with him, obviously? And I mean more from a explosive standpoint, stamina, recovery, because those are the things that I feel are super important in the ring is being able to recover and let your hands go. I mean, that's, uh, that's crucial in boxing. Uh, with Brian, you know, he's got a lot of talent, and he came to Vegas just for boxing from New Mexico. And, you know, I think he has a great coach in uh, Coach Salas. And he's been working, and he's one of those guys who's still getting better. You know, it's, it's not as much like the Cubans who have that amateur background where they just pull from that their whole career. He's one of those guys who's still in the gym learning. He spars with Ugas. He spars with Lara. He sparred, he sparred with everybody who comes through, and he's always available to work. And everybody knows he's one of the hardest working guys out there. And so... The thing that I think I bring to the table with him is just the experience, you know, knowing what top fight camps require and what the champions have uh, done to get where they were. So I just 
you know, helped him with that, helped him with the psychological aspect, you know, not being a sparring partner, really trying to, uh, you know, focus on his career. And, you know, Brian's a sponge. Brian's a smart kid. He works as hard as anybody I've ever seen. And uh, you know, I wish him the best. What's one of the routines on your sprint, on your spirits, sprints, sprints, when you have your fighters doing sprints? I mean, we do a variety of different runs. We do distance. Uh, no, we specifically do, sprints, obviously. We do know. a lot of bursts. We do, we could do 100s, we could do 50s, we do hill sprints, we do short hill sprints. And uh, we do a lot of intervals where you bring it up and then you bring it back down. So, Are you timing the sprints? Always, always. But it's more about replicating the output. So I'm more worried about can you bring your heart rate up, bring it back down, and then how soon can you bring it back up again? Uh, you, you mentioned the psychological, uh, Virgil. I feel like that's something that you were huge on and have been huge on throughout your career. You've gave us some very memorable speeches. I feel like we could put a 20-minute video of memorable Virgil Hunter speeches, whether it's been in the corner with Andre. Definitely in the corner. Um, whether I remember after the Super 6, uh, um, I, I was there when you when you were speaking on uh, Kovalev's pay at, at the post-fight press conference. What? How much of the mental do you think plays an aspect for the fighters in the ring? Because I feel like, uh, you know, that's something that, from my point of view, there's something that you've touched on uh, quite a bit. Well, I think it's important once you start working with a fighter to try to find a psychological makeup. Every one of them has a certain disposition, and then you try to tap into. So I try my best to tap into it and uh, do the best I can with what I have. How hard uh, do you feel it is to tap into a, a fighter that's psychological? You know, uh, more and more these days we see fighters um, be advocates and um, speak out on mental health. And, and we've seen big fights get postponed, big fights get canceled due to fighters uh, dealing with mental health. How, From your experience, at least, how hard is it to tap into a, a fighter's uh, mental well, I think mental health is a real issue with fighters, uh, considering what they have to go through. I think the main important part is to be able to recognize it, to be able to communicate with the fighter and have him confident in communicating back with you uh, to make sure that he is mentally stable. So I haven't encountered it yet, but you could always say that the borderline uh for a fighter to go to that side is always there, particularly if he's come off a loss, particularly if he's not happy with the trajectory of his career. These things can come into play just like anybody else in a profession. Uh, if you don't have, if you have doubts about your profession, about your ability to climb to the top, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a journalist, whether you're in your profession, if, if you are not in the position that you're in, you will question yourself. And once you question yourself, then mental instability aspects come into focus. I want your thoughts, and even Coach Tony as well. Do you believe that in today's day and age, it's a lot harder uh, for a fighter compared, say, when Ward came out of the Olympics in 04, when there wasn't as much social media? Now where a fighter has to read all these comments and get these messages, and obviously they're getting out to the world a lot more, whether uh, they're the one on the bad end of the viral knockout or the one delivering the viral knockout? You know, things uh, spread a lot more. Fighters have uh, 
you know, I, I feel social media has played a part, but from your point of view, from both of your points of views, I just want, do you guys believe it's harder in this day and age for a fighter because of that? Well, I think every fighter is subjected to the negativity of social media. Whether they're successful or not, you're going to always have that adversarial fan, that fan that just don't like them for whatever reason. And then you're going to have piggyback fans on top of that. So no matter what the success no matter what you've uh, uh, achieved, it's always going to be doubters. It's always going to be negative comments. And that's something that the fighter has to make find his way to put that in the back burner and continue to look forward and continue to look ahead. Social media has been very negative, boxing, I believe. And um, it affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And it can de determine the outcome of fights, the outcome of the mental stability of the fighter, or even the camp, so to speak. So I think it's something that you really have to watch out for. I think a fighter, when he's training, should stay off of social media. If he takes a loss, he should stay off of social media. If he takes a win, if he gets a win, he should stay off of social media because eventually it, the negativity always dies down until the next fight. So I think that that's something that the fighter has to make a determination in himself that uh, I'm not going to let this affect me, and the best way not to let it affect him is not to allow himself to be subjected to it, mm -hmm. not to go searching for the comments, not to go searching for praise or negativity. You know what you did, so you don't need the world to praise you, You don't, and you certainly don't need the world's negativity. So I think it's up to the fighter. I think the people who are uh, advising the fighter to stress that as much as possible particularly if it's been a tough fight where fans say one little shot or knock down, you exposed, you know, not recognizing the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of the sport. Or if you win close fight that they felt you should have knocked a guy out, just stay off of social media and you'll be fine. Coach? I mean, I think it's just another challenge for fighters these days. It's a little bit harder to stay in the bubble, um, to stay insulated from the outside world when you're in training camp, but it's it's a game of toughness anyway. It's a game of mental toughness. Um, I think I see it more in other sports, honestly, where um, they're more exposed to the uh, social media and it affects them more. You see that in like basketball and football. And, you know, you, you see it a little bit more there, I think. But in boxing, if you can't, ha if you can't handle it, then, you know, it's going to be hard, you know, to overcome and become a champion. Well, the difference in other sports is they're team sports uh, other than tennis or something like that. So, there are supporting factors in other sports, that, particularly that involve team sports. So you're able to handle it a little bit better because you got teammates to rely on and everybody knows their part. And so if this guy gets by me, I, I'm supposed to have backup in the, in the paint, things like that. These things happen. Uh, so it's easier to not get mentally uh, diminished in those, in those arenas. And I, I think so, too. Uh, I think uh, in the aspect, too, there's a lot less privacy in boxing, right? Like, you're not having any NFL or NBA play players, like, leaking their practice or their scrimmage tapes or things like that versus, you know, sparring gets out, you know. And if not, there's always going to be a picture because, oh, I just got rounds in with the champ. Now I'm going to upload it, and now I'm going to know how many rounds he got in with who versus back in the day. You might not even know who's sparring who in camp. So, you know, definitely interesting, I feel like. 
Uh, Verge, I wanted to ask, um, there's a lot of mention that if uh, Bivol versus Better Beef doesn't happen, Buatsi is next. Uh, do you feel he's ready for that title shot versus Dimitri Bivol? Right now, ready, right ready now, next. right now, I think that fight is a couple fights away. Uh, I'm not at liberty to discuss Boatsy's uh, business plans, but he is going through some business transitions and transactions. So I think that'll be revealed in the next month or so. Then we'll make a determination from there. But he's most definitely a couple of fights away from a title shot. And I feel his style will give Bivol trouble because he won't back off of Bivol. Whereas Ramirez backed off of him and showed respect. Boatsy won't do that. And he's got lay you down, lay you out power. So he's always going to be in any fight he's in. Do you have say in opponent selection or are you just, do you just give your advice? I have say in the selection. Do you think he's ready for a former world champion then? Yeah. Joe and Smith, somebody like that, sure. Those are definitely on my radar. Is the domestic fight between him and Yard still a possibility? Obviously, Yard has moved on to do things, but he hasn't been able to capture that world title. Do you think that's still there or that's something to revisit in the... Well, I think that would be something in the future considering that Yard took this loss and how he lost and things like that. I think Joshua at this time has to move ahead and move forward. And then after, if he accomplishes his dreams and goals, then Yard is definitely a consideration. He's a hell of a fighter. He's a game fighter. And it's a big fight in the U.K. So um, I think the collision course is there, but not at this time. Cool. Virgil, I wanted to ask, obviously, uh, still in the game, but looking back after all the years, all the camps and all the fights, what would you say is the most important thing you've ever told a fighter? Whether it was one single fighter or something you've told to numerous fighters, what, what would you say is the most important thing you've said to a fighter? Don't leave yourself in a position that you'll look back and have to regret, particularly if you got world-class skills, if you got uh, world championship skills. Don't cut any corners. Don't do anything negative in your career. Uh, because this is a sport, whether you win a belt or not, you can make money. And you want to make sure that you max out. Don't stay in too long. Don't get broke where you have to fight for money because you don't have skills in another any other profession. And get out with your faculties. That's, that's what I stress. Do you think, not that he should have, but do you think that Ward still had those three fights in him? Well, it's interesting you said that because when he spoke to me about retirement, I was always for it from the time he was nine years old. I stressed that once you make the money, save your money, make sure everything is paid off, make sure you have a future ahead of you. Um, and he had this future in broadcasting ahead of him, so it was no need for him to fight. But considering the layoff that he had in the last Kovalev fight, I felt that he was getting in his groove in that he had three or four great fights in him. Mm. Now, we hear the rumor um, plan for him and everything, given that obviously he would have been moving up in weight. To you, that's no... Knowing that you still think he could have uh, competed at that level? It depended who the fighter was. Um, one thing that I can say that in sparring, Andre was hell on heavyweights, just hell on him. 
and some real good heavyweights, top amateur heavyweights and things like that. So it would have to been a certain style. I mean, if Burge, I remember correctly, Burge, let's just come out and say it. It, it. He was talking about Joshua in retrospect, watching Joshua lose to Andy and and obviously twice to Usyk. Do you do you believe there was a world where Ward could have done it? I think that states my case right there. I think it states my case right there. Hmm. I mean, Andy was a declarated heavyweight amateur, so you know he's probably not like. Your, your body-friendly heavyweight, but he was always a heavyweight. And Usyk, you he know... He just said Ward was messing the heavyweights up in sparring, so so Virgil felt that his it, guy I, could... I, I I'm just it. saying, the two, the two guys that beat him, they, it's not like they slouches. Like, I, obviously, Usyk is an is a undisputed champ at Cruiserweight, moving up to become unified, and, and Andy... Tony, I mean, ever. You, you being strength and conditioning coach, being with Dre for so many years... What is your thoughts, and how do you attack that? All right, I got my guy. He just moved up to 75. He's had a few fights at 75. Now Cruiser, because I think Tony Bellew was the champ at the time, and that was part of the, the rumor plan. Now Joshua, how do you go about that, and, and do you believe that, that Ward could have pulled it off? I mean, <clears throat> if he moved up and he put a little bit of size on to be able to have the durability... I don't see why not, because he's going to have a skill, speed advantage. It's just a matter of, you know, can he withstand, uh, you know, all the sparring and training camp and then, you know, be able to take the shot. So it's just a matter of building up to it. I don't see why not, though. Let me ask you both this, then. That being said, how much time would you have wanted for a move to, from light heavyweight to cruiser? Yeah, how many and months then, to make him then, a real heavyweight? And then from cruiser, he, he fights at cruiser, then how many months to prepare him for a heavyweight fight? I would say a year. Mm. Um, the thing is... is Back that, then, though. The thing is, is that Andre knows his range. And because he knows his range with heavyweights, he's able to land flush, crisp punches that accumulates, almost like Spinks against Cooney. He's able to get inside that zone where they're limited and go to work on them. He has the physical strength to last the distance, and he has the uh, defensive wear-all not to give you more than one punch at a time. If you look at the first Kovalev fight, we couldn't run for that fight. His knee was bothering him. He couldn't run. So we had to do bike and things like that. So when it was obvious that Kovalev had the boxing advantage, we went to something that we knew he wasn't accustomed to, a dog fight. And I believe most Eastern European fighters are not accustomed to dog fights. They're very technically sound. They come from good boxing schools. But if you force them into a dog fight, T.O. Field against uh, Lomachenko, they fall apart. <laughs> so the second fight, when his knee, when he was able to run and things, I predicted a knockout. Nobody ever talks about that. But I told him. I said, in order to get this knockout, we're going to have to give up a punch. And we're going to give him the jab because he flicks it. But when he gets tired from you dogging him on the inside, he's going to start dragging it, and you'll be able to follow it back. Nobody can tell me in that second fight, one time where Kovalev landed a right hand, and everybody went, ooh. You can't think of one time in that fight where he landed a big right hand. It wasn't there. He took it. We took it from him. And we stopped him. So... That's the intelligence and the physical strength that he has. Um, that by getting inside, I felt like 
when you see Anthony fight today, Joshua, or everything, uh, that he would be able to slip inside of him and make him bring his hands in. He's not effective there. He won't be able to catch him coming in and hitting with short, crisp combinations. And because of his speed, he'd be able to hit him flush. And I don't care if you do have a 30-pound weight advantage. You get hit on the chin flush. You can look away, and a baby can hit you, and you go, wow. <laughs> right? And he's hitting you with stuff you don't see. I felt that he'd have been competitive in the fight. Not saying how it would turn out, but I felt he'd have been competitive. I got to ask, uh, there, there's been so much chatter, people dying for him to come back, and specifically Canelo. Being as Especially the- after that video of him and uh, Shakur shadow boxing with each other. There was a lot of talk of... Uh, you know, just, I, I think I think even before that, I think if you know, ever since Canelo's been in and around that weight, they you know they've mythically pit the two. But if ever a time to come back, guys, for a shot at Canelo and undisputed, does that make sense? Or once you ride off, you stay and in can the he, sunset? Well, can he make sixty eight? Can he make sixty eight? That fight's not going to happen. He's secure in his future. He's happy. He does stay in tip top condition, which I encourage. It's just a fight that you won't see. But there was a time that uh, he could have challenged Canelo at 68 when Canelo was fighting at 160. That fight was possible, just like the Golovkin fight. But they didn't happen, so. You just you just said it. They didn't happen. What's the one fight out of all these names and possibilities we just mentioned that you wish he uh, would have manifested? The Golovkin fight. Me too. He refused to move up for you guys. That was ex- that was the bottom of it? Well, it, it, he said he would move up. But not for you guys. He but would move up for, for Chavez. He would move up for Chavez. He would move up for Frotch. Oh, yes. Frotch. Um, but he wouldn't move up for us. So a lot of excuses came with it, but it is what it is. What's the real story with the Frotch situation? Why did the rematch never happen? Or was it a fighter that he wanted over there? Or did Ward not want to go over there? What, what's the case with that? Frotch didn't want to fight. Mm. because he realized he got beat with one hand. Dre had a broken hand in that fight, in his right hand. And he realized that if I took this much punishment with a broken hand, and what could happen? He didn't want to fight. The fight frustrated him. He couldn't get off. He couldn't fight his fight, and he knew it wouldn't be any different the next time. So he didn't want to fight. It was offered to him many times. It was always an excuse. Speaking of frauds, I just gotta ask. Uh, we were actually, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually. He's been in the headlines recently. I'm not sure if you saw John with uh, Jake Paul. Jake Paul. Yes, yes. So, Which one is Jake Paul? Is he the one fighting Tommy? Yes, yes, yes. I think that's a dangerous fight for Frotch. Oh, considering the time that he's been off. Nine years. But he's coach, been he's, out. On, he's only forty-five. Yeah. Okay. And he look. I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna. I'm have I'm, you seen him recently? I cannot or, believe or a picture of him recently. No. I got one year to look as good as he looked. Cause I'm 44 and I'm not. He is cut up. I mean, he's doing well. The type of style that he fights and the way he has to win is not good for him against Jake Paul. He will get hit with a big punch. Jake Paul is pretty serious about his sport, and I watch him in training. He's getting more and more technically sound. He's going to be the bigger fighter. And Frotch is going to stand there. So it doesn't matter how you look. You hear fighters all the time after they blow their youth and then they come back at 35 and 36. 
And they say, I'm in the best condition I've ever been in. No, you're in the best condition a 36-year-old could get in. Mm. You're not in the best condition that a 22-year-old who's trained the same and everything's going to get in. So you might, of course, you could look good with your body from weightlifting, exercise, aerobics, and things like that. <laughs> but you haven't been in the boxing gym, which calls for reflexes and reactions and things like that. So no good. I'm with you, Coach. I'm with you. I, I, I'm just saying his run, it's hard to, 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 to not look past that resume. Like, I mean, from John Pascal, the only thing you can find to consider, and I wouldn't call Yusef Mack a soft touch. Like, I've been saying that, like, Froch had a serious run. That was like a 15-fight run of nothing but world-class names. Uh I, and he knows how to deliver that right hand. If the only thing he could do is deliver that right hand, he going to land it. He landed it on Jermaine Taylor. You know, I don't know. That I was get, Jermaine Taylor's fault. Yeah, but... It but, had more to do with Jermaine's demise and, and mental mindset. I talked to Emmanuel Stewart about Jermaine Taylor, and he was not a student of the sport. He was stubborn in a lot of ways, and he just relied on his accomplishments with B-Hop to think that that was going to take him the rest of the way. He didn't perfect his art craft at all. Mm. Did you ever talk to Emmanuel about Tony Harrison? No. What's your thoughts on Harrison? He's got, he's got a tough assignment. He's got to fly all the way to Australia, fight a son of a legend in Tim Zoo. Can he do it? I thought that Zoo was fighting Charlo. Charlo got injured, and somehow Zoo offered Harrison that shot. I think it's a dangerous well, fight. Considering how... Well, who's the guy that knocked Zoo down? Terrell Gachet. If Zoo displays the same technique that he displayed against Harrison is very slick and very clever. If he doesn't kill himself making a way where he sort of gets tired late in the fight, I give him a chance. It's all how he trains. He only six so, pounds off. So you, that's what you think it is. You think he's killing himself, and that's why he gets tired? See, I don't know. I, I, I was going to ask you both. Is it chin or is it stamina? I don't know if he doesn't make the weight correctly or whatever, but uh, in his fights, even before Charlo, although in the first Charlo fight, he showed good stamina, and the second one he did too. He Up was, until he, that sixth round. And yeah, but he was rumbling in that fight. How long did the second one go? 11. 11 rounds. He was rumbling in that fight. He had a case that he was winning that fight. Mm -hmm. until Charlo caught him. Mm -hmm. So he had a big case. He was working to the body. He was busy. So his conditioning was apparently there. I say it depends on the conditioning. Zoo has not fought anybody like Charlo, uh, like Harrison. And if Harrison can be in condition and go last a fight, it'll be an interesting fight. I'm not taking away nothing from Zoo or Harrison. Tony, from the outside looking in, is it is it because you're a strength coach and, that, and I've been asking everybody, even his own trainer, LJ Harrison, like, is it the chin or is it stamina? Because I was there. In, in Tampa for the Willie Nelson fight. He was doing great. And every fight he loses, he's doing great. And then he either gets stopped or... No, he's only been, yeah, he's only been yeah, stopped. Yeah, he gets well, stopped. Well, when you see the sawdust, the mill is not far away. So you could just liken it to Roley getting knocked out in the gym. When you see the sawdust, that's the first big knockout you take. The mill is not far away. Mm. Unless you have a lot of time in between to, to uh, recover. recover. Which Damn. that that he has who 
Tony's, there's been years in between. You got to oh, go. No, no, because he switched to Roley for a quick second. Oh, no, hell no. They announced the title fight the day after that video dropped yeah. him, of, of him being knocked down and sparring, so. But, Tony, you didn't get to answer. I mean, it's hard to speculate without knowing everything he's doing, you know. I don't know. Mm. It, what he's doing for his chin, what he's doing for his uh, conditioning, how his weight cut is. There's so many factors without knowing the behind the scenes on that. Did you see his speculate. last fight with Sergio Garcia? I did not. Mm, did you, Coach? No. Mm. Yeah, he, he fought so well. He fought so well. A lot of pivots. It, it reminded me of, like, Pitbull Cruz and uh, Javante Tang Davis, except, obviously, you know, Tony used more jabs. Um, he fought very well, but he's going to need a performance like that, that type of stamina. Uh, hopefully. Maybe we're overhyping Zoo, right? I don't know. I, I love Tony's style, though. Yeah. I do, too. I personally think that... Uh, and I've been in I, I I've been in the gym with both guys in the last six months. So yeah, I I personally feel that Tony edges it out. Too much experience and too much class. I just feel like he's a level above Tim right now. I just think you have to do Devin Haney in a in a foreign country. You have to consistently outwork and outland your man. Make or, it clear. You exactly. Make it clear. You ain't making it clear. They could take it from you. But speaking of Devin Haney, you're from Oakland. He's obviously from Oakland. What's your thoughts on Devin Haney, the undisputed champ? I think he's doing a heck of a job in his career. Um, I think he's getting to the point in his abilities that he's ready for anybody. He's had some good confidence fights. Uh, he he's shows... someone. He's been in your gym, right? Somebody that you've worked with before. Yeah, he's come to my gym and he's big for the weight. Um, I think his power, because of you, he's grown into his power. And he's definitely hitting hard enough to make you respect him. Mm. And um, with this world-class jab, he's going to be hard for anybody to deal with. So when he visited you, did he work with Amir Khan and Berto? Or were oh, they too big? No, he, he handled Khan. Mm. He handled Khan. Khan was definitely on the downside. He handled Khan. What about with Berto? A little bit bigger. He never sparred with Berto, I don't think. Mayfield? No, he never sparred with Kareem. That would have been a dangerous sparring session there because Kareem is strong and can punch. Speaking of Kareem, has he called you? He called me last week. Oh, uh, my God. Did he really get offered the fight? I don't know anything about oh. a fight. He didn't mention a fight. I, I heard rumors he was getting offered the Broner fight. Soon as uh, Michael Williams Jr. jaw got broke, uh, I heard Kareem got offered the fight. So I'm like, damn, did he call you? Tony heard that too. That's why no, he's smiling. <laughs> that's news to me right there. I, no, I mean, he he actually called me, texted me for. Uh... I got it right here in my phone. Nah, it's all good. It's all good. If it would have been if it would have been boxing Broner related, then all right. But now nah, I was shooting in the dark. Kareem there. hasn't fought in several years. I mean, you know they was looking for a tune-up for Bernard. He ain't fought in several years. He's trying to get back. Does he have anything scheduled yet? Well, well he, he has. That, he has Saturday. But and they yeah. haven't. They haven't resolved that for. Well, him. no, three, it, got, it got postponed to April. Opponents, now. April. Three yeah. opponents pulled out. That's like almost unheard days, of. Three opponents in thirty days. They had uh, the original opponent was Hank Lund. Oh uh, no, the original was Ivan Redcats. Redcats. And his promoter stopped that fight. Star boxing. Uh, Joe DeGuardia. Then the second opponent was Seven, Hank Lundy. Yeah, Hank. And then Hank Lundy, uh, his promoter stopped that no. fight because he had a fight contract yeah. to fight another fighter. So obviously he he owed that fight to uh, Tito Mercado. So they legally kept him out of the Broner fight. 
So then Michael Williams Jr. stepped in, and according to the father, uh, Roy Jones put him in too tough a sparring, and he got his jaw broke a week out. Well, at least two weeks out. He been real vocal uh, on, on, on Roy, too, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Been very vocal, but... So, Coach, uh, since we're talking Haney, what do you think of the Loma fight? Can he get a... I don't want to even say stoppage. Haney's a, definitely a decision fighter, right? Or you think or you think Loma's ready to be stopped? I think if any time to, to get Loma, this this time right now. And um, I think Devin has the tools to do it, um, to cause him a lot of difficulty. And this, the timing is perfect for Devin to win that fight pretty convincingly, I would say. But it's convincingly by stoppage, in your opinion, or you see decision? If he stopped him, I wouldn't be surprised, but I would lean more towards the decision. Coach, I have to ask, when you watch his fights and if you watch any training footage that, that's out there, do you see anything that you you guys worked on while he was uh, in your gym or anything that, any advice that you gave him? Do you see anything that... Um, you specifically worked on with him? Well, he, he wasn't in long enough for me to really just lock in on anything specific. You know, I would just pat him and things like that. And usually when he came, he came for sparring sessions and mm. stuff like that. So uh, a couple times I worked with him with the body shield um, and just basically patted him. But knowing that different guys worked with him and things like that, I didn't want to confuse the situation because he's here for a minute. And then he's gone. So it's not good to just try to implement something that he should be doing. And he's only there for a few days and he's gone. So the only reason I ask is because uh, we've had a conversation with, with his dad, Bill Haney, where, you know, he says how when he, Devin was on the come up, Bill received a lot of criticism for having him work with so many different trainers and having them. Uh, you know, people would say like, oh, he's going to get confused and this and that. But the reason I asked is because he actually told us something that they've added to their tool bag that they learned from you. So that's why uh, that's why I asked if you saw anything that... Wasn't uh, it specifically the guard? Uh, transitioning, though. It was the prevent defense. The prevent defense? The prevent defense. Can you explain when that? switching guards, right? It's after you... Punch, punch, you take your ass, step back with the straight arm to prevent anything from coming okay. using your lead hand. Yeah, I knew it was something with the yeah. guard. <laughs> but I, I guess that's not considered guard. Definitely the lead hand. And he does do your, that a your, lot. Your distance and range more so, I, I would say, right? Well, it makes the incoming fighter stop when it's in his face because he doesn't know if something's coming behind it. So, And then you could disrupt his lead hand too often. Could you bring could you bring the uh, mic a bit closer to you? Cause yeah. you could just move it to you. You could just move it to you. But perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, I do think we have some some questions. David uh, Maldonado, New York City, says, "What's up, Coach? Who wins, Prime Miguel Cotto versus Prime Earl Spence?" Hmm, that's a good fight. I would have to say, based on the styles, I'd have to go with Earl. Hmm. Uh, we got Ruin of 504 says, could you have really helped AJ beat Usyk? Uh, I believe so. Um, at the time that he and I talked, 
uh, I was stressing certain type of punches that he had used in the fight and that he needed a whole camp to work on cutting the ring because he never cut the ring. And I was trying to explain to him that when Usyk went to his right, he never punched, but he always comes back to his left and he punches. So you have to, you can't go to your left with Usyk. You have to go and make him go to his right and keep him that, you have to make him keep stay that way. So that's, that was the plan that I would have put together for that. And I think that the idea is just hitting him anywhere. And also to have a fast, lightweight in camp because when you th- and when you throw it at Anthony, he pulls back mm. and punches so the other ones get through to be able to keep his guards up and have fast, light, heavyweight, throw punches at him and put 20-ounce gloves on him and make him parry those punches. And when he gets better with that, put 16s on him, make him parry those punches. When he gets better at that, put 10-ounce gloves on him where he fights in and have him parry. So he's used to staying there and keeping his hands close to the target. That's that's what I was going to work on if we just uh, remain together. How important was uh, relocating camp from the U.K. to America, or was that not a thing for you? Did that matter? Could you have gotten the same results in the United Kingdom like you could have gotten them in the Bay Area? I wasn't willing to go to the U.K. Okay. Because I felt that at my place, it would be the best place that I could offer him the best uh, mm-hmm. tutelage. And a lot of people like to believe that um, he was in control of his sparring. Uh, do you feel like that's an issue? Uh, did he need tougher sparring? I don't know anything about the camp or who he had in the spar or how he dictated how the camp was going to go. I have no idea how it went. What's your thoughts, though, on sparring in general? Obviously, now having the opportunity to live on the uh, West Coast and, you know, seeing so many gyms on the East. Man, they fighting out here in, in Las Vegas. This is like a, a, a real fight. It's not sparring. I'm, like, I'm used to the East Coast with people working with you, you know, you're a trainer on the outside. Like, hey, hey, keep it, you know, if you get hit with a right hand and you wobbling, someone stops that shit. Like, out here, they, you know, you might get dropped. So um, what's your, how did you hold your camps and how uh, aggressive or, I guess, how much did you have your guys going in sparring? Well, if it's a mismatch, of course, it has to be controlled. But I always try to look for a guy, bring guys in that uh, had great skills to spar. And if they were a notch or so below, I would keep them fresh. Where I would bring one guy in one round, take him out, and bring the other guy in so the sparring partners always stayed fresh. So that kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. But I definitely believe in competitive sparring. Uh, that's how the fight is going to be. If you get into the mindset of holding back, it could carry over into your real fight, holding back. Um, it's hard to find the right sparring partners for the opponents that you're going to fight. That's the main thing. You can't duplicate your opponent. So the best thing is is to really go out and spar. You got big gloves on. You got headgear on. Go out and spar and get the conditioning so you can adapt and adjust to any situation in the ring with your live opponent that night of the fight. What's your thoughts on uh, Angel Garcia? He He's obviously quoted by us because we did the interview where he says that, uh, you know, he doesn't like to bring in hard sparring because fighters are trying to make a name off the champ. Um, obviously, the champ being whatever fighter the coach is training. Uh, have you been in those situations where someone is, you know, trying to make a name for themselves in that sparring session? 
Well, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know about his philosophy, but everything, but I used to put a bounty on Andre's head. Whoever knocked him down, get $1,000. dollars mm. So that was incentive enough. How many thousands you pay? Never. <laughs> Never. Now, now, did you shake people's hands? And the only reason I ask is because that video that you've seen or heard of with Roley getting knocked down, uh, there's a trainer that obviously is jumping up and down in Otis Pemberton. And, and uh, we had him in studio because it, it, it didn't look right. But there was a bet behind that. So his excitement was because he had a bet on that sparring with another trainer. And the reason I asked, when you were offering this thousand, how serious were you with that thousand? Because he ain't get paid because allegedly they didn't shake on the bet. Well, I didn't know nothing about it. I just heard about the sparring mm. session. I didn't see the footage or anything like that. Okay. It didn't interest me. I just felt bad for Roley, you know, that that happened. It's embarrassing and things like that. And it's not good to have people in there taping sparring sessions and then going online. That's another thing that could cause mental depression right there. Mm -hmm. That's something that could affect the fighter. People don't realize just to get clout. So, you know, shame on the person that put that out on the internet. It wasn't right. It was disrespectful. I'm sure you wasn't, was told in the gym that it was no filming the sparring or anything like that. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But um, I don't know anything about the bet. No, but I'm saying in terms of you and the sparring partners, like how serious is that $1,000? Because again, you know. Is oh, I would have paid it. Okay. Sure, I would have paid it. I'm a man of my word. I would have paid it. Hmm. That's interesting. I think I heard that only one other time someone... Pac, uh, I think with Freddie Roach Specifically $1,000, right? I think it was more, but I, regardless of how much it was, I know I know it was a, over 1000 at least 1000 that he would pay for, for a knockdown for Pacquiao in, uh, in camp. I have James Benitez that says, what are your thoughts on today's topic? What do you think of Pacquiao versus Conor Ben? Yeah, so there are heavy rumors. Obviously, uh, Sean Gibbons, who who uh, manages Pacquiao, was saying that they wouldn't consider Conor Ben if he couldn't get cleared by the, you know, cleared the fight. But now he is, and there's a possibility. There was also some uh, Middle Eastern interest in this fight. Conor Ben has been cleared to fight. Yes, by the WBC. Yes, as of today. Not good. Not good. But uh, if you're talking about the Pacquiao today, I don't think it's a fight that he should take. He don't have to take it. If you're talking about a prime Pacquiao, I would go with Pacquiao. But, but for Conor, do you think he should take it? Of course he's going to take it if it's available. It's, it's another name to hype his name up um, and to, um, you know, further his career along, to have that kind of name on his resume. So I'm sure he would take it. And uh, you said it's not good, so I'm assuming uh, you, you're not happy with the results. What do you think needs to be done in boxing to, I guess, make it a cleaner sport? Well, if you're dirty, you're dirty. And if you can't prove your point, then there's no sense in the politics coming into the situation to do favors for certain people to clear the fight and clear the name. It's, it, it's, it's just not a good look on the sport. If you can't prove your point how you got contaminated, which he hasn't. He hasn't produced eggs or anything else like that to prove his point, anything like that. It's just another favor that's being done. And it and it just, to me, it shows the corruption that exists in boxing. I hate to say it. I respect the sport. I respect the governing bodies. But there's always an element of corruption there 
and favors done, and it doesn't do any other fighters that uh, are ranked in those governing bodies any favors. It just shows favoritism, and uh, it gives an open door for you to cheat because you can always point to where you let him off, where you let him off, where you let him off. It's always going to be an open door to cheat. And um, until somebody gets killed again or something like that, and then they'll go into the little bag of uh, we got to get more stringent, we got to get more tested. It's going to happen. I have Brandon in Houston that says, thanks for taking the time to come on, Virgil. Andre Ward was really good at effectively clinching to neutralize his opponent's offense. Did he come to you with that skill, or did you drill that into him? Also, what do you say to the fan who criticizes clinching by labeling it a, oh, by labeling a fighter a hugger? Number one, Andre started boxing with me when he was nine. He didn't know a left hook from a fish hook. So I don't call it clinching. I call it grappling to wear a fighter down. It's all part of the sport to grapple. A lot of people say he's hugging and clinching and everything, but you got the referee right there making the determination if it was a hold or not. You can always see the referee never really called holding on Andre, never called hugging on him. He was always grappling, moving his arms and jer jerking your arms and moving your arms over. That's what I taught him to wear the other fighter down. So, and then there comes a time that you're going to have to be there. You're going to have to be able to fight pretty, and you're going to have to be able to fight ugly. So when he came out of the amateurs, he had a pretty style. I said, the only style that could beat your style is a buzzsaw. So now we have to go to the inside and learn how to work on the inside. So every day I put the body shield on him and have him working on the inside. So when those days came, he was ready for it. So a lot of people, they like to see a space between the two fighters, them chucking punches and things like that. But there's an art to the sport. And I don't call it clenching or holding. I call it grappling. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely a fine line. You know, uh, some people don't like grappling or clenching. What did you, did you ever watch Amir Khan versus Lamont Peterson? Yeah, I saw that fight. What was your thoughts on that? And no, that's not grappling, but, you know, it's up to the referee's discretion. I thought it was a fair fight. Um, so you didn't mind you, the shoving from Khan? Well, I mean, he shoved to get him back to clear space and things like that, and it depends on the referee. Anything goes if the referee lets it go. So you have to test the referee's resolve to see where he's at. He's going to give you two or three warnings of what he's going to allow. It's a fight. So if you're going to, if I'm able to push you out, look at George Foreman, how many times he pushed off Joe Frazier and shoved him here and shoved him there. Not one call was made because it was the referee's discretion in the ring. So the referee is looking for little things to, to harp on and maybe to... Uh, appeased the, the corner. Maybe it was something in the dressing room that it was told, and he emphasized, he enforced it. Then it becomes an issue. It becomes an issue. Sometimes you guys are straight arm you. It's not an issue. And another referee, it's an issue. Sometimes uh, you get hit low, and the referee just give you a warning the whole fight, where another referee after the second time will take a point from you. 
So you have to understand the competence and, and the um, resolve of the referee in the ring, know what you can do and know what you can't do. So do you, he, I'm sorry, I thought you were done. So if I could get away with pushing you off and there's no call, it's all fair in, in war. Do you think that more um, retired fighters should become referees? Would that help in judging also? Should they become officials? Like should, you know, obviously Ward has a better career as a broadcaster, but, you know, if, if, you, if you weren't doing that, should Ward be a referee or a judge? Because they have a better understanding. They've been in the ring. They know what they're looking at. Like some, I mean, I'm yeah. going to the conventions versus some, I mean, you know, obviously you and myself are old, but like some of these dudes are very old. Physically, they can't even come between two heavyweights. Like right now, if I go on BoxRec and pull up Floyd Mayweather's professional debut, the referee and the three judges are still, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, yo, like my mother ain't the same since 96. So, you know, she ain't that sharp. So, yeah. so I don't know. Do you think? Do you think that it would help to get some of these retired fighters, just people involved in the sport that have fought to some extent, um, you know, more of these positions? Because it's people from the outside looking in that ain't never been in the ring. Well, I know I don't believe you guys are asking me this question. You know, it all boils down to favoritism of the promoter, mm. who he wants to judge the fight and things like that. The most powerful promoter has the most say-so who's going to judge the fight and who's going to referee the fight. Usually the champion can pick the referee. The challenger has no say-so. The champion is going to be able to pick two judges out of the three, and that three is the one coming from the challenger's hometown or home country, things like that. The other two referees at the discretion of the promoter, uh, you hear things that go on behind the scenes and everything like that. It's a no-brainer. It's favoritism in it to give me the best advantage and, and the best chance to win the fight. Whether well, we've seen how many decisions have we seen that should have went the other way. So Too many. It's, it's not a big mystery of what goes on in the sport. I've but that's seen, what I'm saying. Those officials, they're easy to coerce. Like a ward or even a chop-chop call, because obviously Ward is the highest level. I can't see him retiring and being a ref unless that's something he wants to do on the weekends, right? But, like, chop-chop has been in the ring for years. Like, is he going to allow something that he's really not seeing to be written on his scorecard because of a promoter? I think... Being in that situation as a fighter? I think the consideration of fighters judging and refereeing, you have a strong point. But at the same time, former fighters have favorite fighters, too. Mm. And they could be put in a position where they only see what the, fight, the fighter they favor is doing and not really looking at the other fighter. That possibility exists also. I think one good thing is that you should get people who have not been in the sport and train them for several months, bring them up through the amateurs and things like that, uh, and allow them to referee. Again, I agree with younger minds. But as long as I got you in my pocket, you're going to referee. Unless it's just something outrageous like Miss Bird did. Um, with the Floyd where, fight. Well, we haven't seen her since. Oh, no. Um, we seen her after. Which, which fight you talking about? Adelaide Bird. Which fight, though? Because you know she she's the I, same I, one I with the draw which... card for Floyd and Canelo. Right, I think that one, and it was something else. But 
again, we don't know how she saw the fight or whatever. It's obvious Floyd wanted to fight. Um, but what's good for the goose is good for the gander. There's been many after her and many before her that didn't suffer the consequences that she suffered. But so What consequences? She's still judging to this day. Has she judged any championship fights? She look. She judging. Um, she she judging guys that that it it may not be on the title, but guys that's being discussed for title opportunities, guys that's still in the rankings, guys that have a career on the line. Well, I mean, all you got to do is not let her judge the championship fights. Whereas it's unfair that other judges have made the same calls and they still judge a championship fight. So I feel like more or less she made a mistake, but she's the scapegoat in the whole situation because it was so obvious, you know, at a fight of that level and that magnitude that put the spotlight on her. Um, but she's working. As you say, I didn't know she was working, but she's still working. So there's obviously some people in positions to give her the work, give her the payday. And uh, rightfully so, if you're going to have other judges making calls that um, it was a fight not too long ago, I saw that. Should have went one way. So her last her last title fight in this country was uh, Canelo Canelo Golovkin, and she had it ten to two for Canelo. Yeah, there Which you one? Go. That Is that was the one fight. or two? The first one. That was the fight right there. That's the last. She she did another title fight outside of this country, but in this country, that was the last one. So again, it goes down to favoritism of the governing bodies and things like that, and the promoters and who they want, and. Uh, that's just the sport of boxing. It's also subjective. Like, uh, I, I like to um, use the reference of Harold Letterman. You know, I watched years of HBO, and Harold, if you had a margarito style, you were winning the fight. Doesn't matter who you are. That's what he liked. Okay, Jim, he's coming forward. He's making the fight. So he's scoring it for that guy. He's not scoring it for the, you know, slick, elusive boxer. Um, so... Hypothetically, like uh, Rashidi Ellis versus Villa, he would have had Villa up on the card because Villa's coming forward every single round, whereas I'm seeing Rashidi slip, slip, jab, jab, right hand, pivot. I like that. So I score for the boxer. So it, it, scoring is very subjective. I think we need guidelines on how you score a fight. Like, one judge can't only like come forward styles not like a back foot fighter. It's so many different things. It sucks. But I did hear you say it's promoters, it's political. Um, Joe Cortez has obviously uh, gone away from uh, something that he had started. It was called the Cortez 2020 system where he felt if we can put the officials on tennis-style referee seating, which I know takes a lot of space from ringside. So... That's a another conversation, but what do you think of elevated judges looking down into the ring? Would that help the scorecards? I think it would because one judge in one corner, if, if a fighter's back is to that judge and he's just throwing punches, you can't see the counter punches coming back with the fighter up against the ropes. So quite naturally, you're going to favor the fighter with his back to you, particularly if he's letting his hands go, but you're not seeing other fighters slip encountering things like that, whereas the other one over there has an advantage, the one on this side has an advantage, the one right below should have an advantage. But if you're on top of the ring, you're able to see the action wherever it takes place. 
So I, I think that would be a good idea. So obviously that takes a lot of space. Those tennis judges' chairs look huge. Well, um, I mean, you only have to be eye level to the top rope. So you're saying like four feet in there? Yeah, just eye level to the top rope where you can see everything and not below where you're looking up. You don't know if those ring lights are blinding you. You don't know what is the crowd reaction. You, ooh, if it's a rumble going on, the guy against the ropes is getting the better of it. But you assume they're cheering for the guy that's got his back to you. So that's my idea is no, and I, I I agree specifically with that because we're I'm I'm specifically at top rank every day. So I'm, I'm yeah. When I'm on the ground, standing up, looking up into the ring at the sparring. My eyes start to hurt from the light. So I'm, I could only imagine an 80-year-old judge or 75-year-old judge ringside looking into those bright show lights. Yeah, no, and they bring out extra lights for that. And they've had dinner. They've had drinks and things of that nature. You hope they didn't, but, you know, the possibility is there. And they've been on that routine so long that it becomes second nature to it, that it's easy to cut corners. Oh, I could do this. You know, I can have a couple of drinks and do this. Not saying anybody's doing it, but all those possibilities are there. So, again, um, boxing needs to be addressed, I believe, and cleaned from the bottom up. And um, some promoters have more power than the other ones. And um, as long as the power is there, the influence is going to be there. That's just the world, the way it is. I think that is the I got Jazz that says, do you think Joshua Buatzi got tired and lost some explosiveness in the later part of the fight versus Craig Richards? You know, I have some thoughts about that fight. Um, that I'll keep to myself concerning Richardson. Um, but the bottom line is that Boazzi came off a good fight with Belochniks and went right into that fight, and he won. So the main thing is that he won, and we've talked about his stamina in the last two rounds, although I thought he won the 12. Um, but he worked hard in that fight. And what I told him was when he had Richardson hurt three times, he went nuts. He's just going crazy trying to put him out where I told him you have to be more technical. All you need to do is get one shot, solid shot in within five seconds after you hurt him. But you winging and winging and Richardson is rolling and rolling and you shoot you wide and now you let him come back. So that was a matter of experience, the experience that he's gaining over there. When he hurt a guy, once he's going crazy and within 25 seconds, you're depleted. So that had a lot to do with the fight. I felt that the first time he heard Richardson, if he'd have been more technical and set up another shot, he could have got him out of there. So he understands that now. I got Lidge Lowe in Decatur, Georgia, that says, Coach, is there anybody you wanted to train but didn't get a chance to? <sighs> I can't think of anybody offhand. There's so many great fighters out there. Um, I'll tell you this much. My biggest disappointment was Amir Khan. Even though he had been in situations where he got stopped a couple of times, I knew how to protect his chin. He had such ability that if he would have acquired an IQ and dedicated himself to the sport, that um, I believe he would have been uh, a Hall of Famer. And also, um, I regret the Canelo fight. It was a fight I didn't want him to take. 
begged his dad not to make the fight, begged him and begged him that it would ruin him, and it did. So um, he had something that other fighters just didn't have. The times he got caught was just mental mistakes. Uh, and I felt that the groove that we were in from the Devin Alexander fight, from the, uh, what was the fight before Devin? Uh, Palazzo fight, fighting two southpaws, crisp and precise as he was, that he was ready to make another run at the title. But, of course, the Canelo fight came in. We had a good plan. He was winning the fight until he got caught. So that's that's my biggest disappointment. But I can't think of any other fighter that... Um, Man, you be, you hearing you say that, and you you know, and just hearing you believe in his skills so much, I'm almost like forced to ask you: Do you think a prime Amir Khan would have really beat Floyd? Because he seemed to believe that. He, I mean, like he seemed to believe that. And 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 you know, there's an argument that Floyd avoided that fight. Like Floyd himself, when social media first started, he made a poll, and Khan actually won, and he chose the fight someone else and not the person that won the poll. Um, and, and Khan always mentioned his speed would be the issue for Floyd. Obviously, you know, in retrospect, Floyd's been perfect and Khan has been not, but you trained them. Do you think, I don't know, do you think the unthinkable? I think Floyd would have had to hurt him, maybe even clip him. Uh, I think that Khan's style when Floyd went on the ropes, that Floyd wouldn't have been able to get away from the, the barrage of punches that Khan was able to throw, the type of punches that he was able to throw. But at the same time, Floyd was a master counter puncher, so it's not a given that he wouldn't land a shot that might hurt Khan or get him out of there. But I felt as long as the fight was going on, the Khan would have been very highly competitive in that fight because his speed at that time was phenomenal. And he was able to throw punches from all angles, which you just can't pick up on. And he could punch. He could punch. Since you don't stay on social media, um, I don't know if you've seen how they uh, talk of Kovalev now, but um, he's a three-time champ in one division. Like, he's he's won the belt three times. I think that it's unfair uh, since Canelo moved up to fight him and beat him. He's... Um, the, you know, he's not getting the the credit that he deserves. And that is Andre Ward's biggest win. H how do you feel about, I've, I guess, the way that it, boxing treats its its fighters? It's like, you know, again, a, a guy being a three-time champion, they'll diminish that uh, and say that, you know, he was less than and whatever the case may be. You know, they still talk about the alcohol, but it's like, how many times can we say he's an alcoholic? He won the belt three times. This fighters out here that go their whole life and don't win one belt, you know, and, and he didn't win any regulars. It's always been a WBO. Well, I could say when we fought him, he was in his prime. He has shown no signs of slippage at all. So I don't want that taken away from us. We beat him when he was at his best. Um, the Canelo fight, uh, it was a perfect setup fight. He fought one fight over in Russia, and six weeks later, he's fighting another fight. A guy that size got to come down and weight and everything. He was, was weight depleted. It was 10 weeks, Virgil. 10 weeks? And Still Canelo, not enough time. Canelo did it twice, though. Still not enough time. Canelo did it twice with who? 
He uh, fought Callum Smith for the light, uh, super middleweight title, turned around 10 weeks later, defended against his mandatory Abney Yodram. 10 weeks later, turned around. Abney Yodram, one-round fight. Did, Who hadn't fought, what, in two, three years? He still had to go through the camp, though. Two or three it, years, not that strenuous of a camp. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He did it twice. Yildum hadn't fought it. To, what Yildum got to fight on a seven week notice. Hold on, hold Devin, on, Verge. Devin Are you saying? Hold on, hold, that, hold on. Hold Devin, on. Devin defended his his first title defense was on forty three day notice. Now hindsight, he'll tell you that he regrets doing that because it wasn't a proper camp. But you know, it can be done. Not to mention, uh, I mean, this Canelo on that level. Do you train down? Well, he's moving up in weight, so he doesn't have to worry about a weight loss situation. Whereas Kovalev is going to put on 15, 20 pounds in between mm. those 10 weeks, and now he's got to go right back in camp after a 12-round, 11-round fight and take that weight right back off. And I think it was a weight stipulation, wasn't it? Uh, there was no mention no, of that. wasn't it 172? Oh, no, 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 no. It was a full, okay. it was a full, full light. So... So I don't have to worry about making a weight. So I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strong, whereas he's coming off this fight. He's going, he's got to gain weight to train. Right. Now he's got to take it right back off at his age at 35. Hmm. I think that's a tell as old as time in boxing, though. You know, you beat somebody, especially if you outclass somebody, then people want to diminish the guy that you beat. No, maybe he was just a better man that night. Well, let me ask you this. Could Canelo have beat the Kovalev that we fought? Hell no. I was at both fights ringside. Hell no. Maybe the second time. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like Canelo uh, makes great adjustments. Uh, we saw it in the rematch with Golovkin. But maybe maybe the, the Kovalev of the second fight, but I don't believe the Kovalev of the first fight. We got a few minutes. I want to ask you a few trainer questions, obviously. Uh, most recently, Ben Davison had to throw in the towel for Lee Wood versus Mauricio Laura. Did you get to see that? I saw it. What was your thoughts? I thought it was a good stoppage. I also thought it was a good stoppage. Uh, being that uh, that was a real first puncher that he fought, and Conlon had put him down pretty good mm -hmm. in a fight before that. So you never know what goes on in sparring. I mean, he could have been rocked in sparring, and Ben Davidson knew that. Sometimes people don't understand it. Go in sparring, your fighter get wobbled and stunned in sparring, and he gets hurt in the fight. You'll stop the fight based on that he got hurt in sparring. So that's just something that's entirely up to Ben Davidson's expertise. Um, I felt that Lara had enough time to get another punch through. Um, Wood was very unsteady. Even in the 12 seconds, knowing it's 12 seconds plus 12 the minute. 12 seconds is a long time. All I got to do is put a jab and a right hand and a hook, and one of those punches is going to land. So in his state, because when he got up, he stayed right where he was. Usually if a fighter's not hurt, like I tell a fighter, if you're not hurt, if you're knocked down, you're not hurt, start walking the referee. Start walking. You don't stand there. Walking. Back and forth, walking, make him follow you. Walking, make you walk back to this corner, over here, back. Keep walking while he's counting to let me know that you're okay. But he stood there, which lets me know that he was hurt and he was unsteady. He was swaying. Mm. So he wasn't going to be prepared for a barrage of punches to come in there. And what about my good friend Ken Porter stopping the 
Terrence Crawford fight, throwing in the towel versus the very durable Sean Porter. Well, I think Ken knows Sean better than anybody. Uh, Sean fought his heart out. He gave everything he had. I think he went twice, down twice in that round, mm-hmm. which shows that his resilience was not no longer there because the second knockdown was a, it wasn't that hard, It was, but it was on the money, and he went down. Uh, so I think one more knockdown, the fight was going to be over anyway. And I think it was, what, a minute and 20 seconds left in the round. So they knew that was going to be Sean's last fight. So why let him take additional punishment? He fought a good fight. Mm. His dad knows him better than anybody. So I commend his father for not letting him take any further punishment. And obviously uh, Crawford won that fight. The world... Uh would probably stop if they ever announced him and uh, and Spence. But how do you see that fight playing out? Both of you guys, Spence Crawford. Very interesting fight. Um, I felt that it should have took place by now, so it would be hard for me to take a winner. I think um, I think Errol's situation right now is continuously making that weight with the size that he has. So. Um, and listen, Crawford is very physically strong. He came down to my gym with Dre for a week or two. I mean, he's physically strong. Got a wrestling background. He's way stronger than he looked, and he's very explosive. I caught the mitts with him. I know he's explosive with either hand. He hits you right, you going. Mm. So um, He is on a 10-fight knockout streak. He hit you right, you are going. He punches correctly right with his knuckles, with snap. He snaps the punches over. And you could just see it in his fight out of nowhere. Wow, you out. So it would have been a very interesting fight with Earl's grind. You can't take him out of the fight. It would have been a fight that would have been a treat to the world, the boxing world. I mean, that's the type of fight that everybody wants to see that makes the sport great. To me, that's a pick em fight. That's a fight that's pretty much guaranteed a rematch. And saying who would come in first place in the first fight, I couldn't even call it. But I'd be tuned in. Last one, I promise. Tank Ryan does look like it's going to happen April 15th, so we're about 40-something days from that. How's that fight play out for you guys? I think the early rounds that dictate how the fight plays out. Um, I think the longer the fight goes on, it favors Tank. I think Ryan would have to make a move to try to get Tank out of there early since Tank is a slow starter, but he's very calculating on what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. Um, And uh, I believe the fight won't go the distance. I think that one comes down to Ryan's discipline because, you know, Tank, I think, is the the more, you know, seasoned fighter there. And he could pick a shot late in the fight, but he plays roulette because he, he could easily get behind on the cards against Ryan. And if that happens, then he's depending on his power to bail him out. And so it's, a, it's an interesting fight. I, uh, I'd probably lean towards Tank, but, you know, if he gets behind on those cards and can't get Ryan out of there, it could be an interesting result. So, Tony... Um... You think uh, Mendoza will be able to match the output of Fandora? I don't know if he has to match the output. I think he just has to fight his fight, and uh, he'll be able to deal with what Fandora brings to the table. It's a great fight. It's one of those uh, step-up-to-the-plate fights for Brian right there, and he'll be ready, and I'm confident in Brian. 
So yeah, I'm excited for him to have this opportunity. This is what he's been waiting for. This is what he's hungry for. And uh, we'll see what, uh, what he's made of when that bell rings. Does he work with you since you're out here now kind of full-time? Does he work with you even when there isn't a fight? Yes. Oh, great. But great. we pace ourselves. It's a, you know, it's outside of camp. You, you work at a different pace than you do inside of camp. Uh, you ramp up when you have a date, and that's when you really crank things up and get ready for, you know, to peak out at the right time. Cool. That is it for me. I know you don't do social. I mean, man, I could, I, I, I don't know where you, how you're going to feel about this, but obviously in all our time knowing each other and then the big news about your daughter, I, I got to talk to you about that. I mean, no, is that off, off, off uh, topic? That's off topic. Okay. No. And I, and I get it, but, uh, all right. Well, on that note, if you guys don't have any social media, uh, I'm Mr. Tony Brady on Honestly. Instagram. All right. And that's GTO, Rainwalk, Danny, the boxing voice. Make sure to tune in tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern. Peace.